Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. Are you um, are you uh, enjoying the the music festival? <laughs> so uh, one thing that I've uh, learned uh, from my teachers. Uh, in uh, practice, about practice in retreat, and uh, something I mentioned in one group that I thought could be a useful uh, thing to consider is um, so I remember most mainly uh, with the the Burmese teachers. Um, So I would have to go and do the formal reporting, report on something that happened, uh, like a little snippet of the sitting or the walking, not or and the walking and the and the daily activities, just like one little moment of walking, you know, what happened, what was known. And um, what I've learned was that, yeah, I think I can say that, that what was most important was not so much the object, as much as the relationship to the object. And uh, and so, you know, I would go see the teacher and I would say, you know, like, oh, it was so incredibly quiet in the mind and it was vast, kind of spacious and even luminous, you know, and I thought I would be floating, you know, and, and like it was so beautiful in the heart-mind space, the psyche, you know. And the teacher's like, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> how was that held? You know, what was the relationship to that? So, that was the main point. And the relationship was, I wanted more, I wanted to keep it going, you know. It's like, okay, there's the dukkha. There's the, this is where it's important, you know. Ah, okay, but, but there was light, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep, practicing. <laughs> keep practicing. And then I would go the next day and say, oh my God, there's so much anxiety, there's so, you know. And I was like, okay, so how it, is it held, you know? It's like, well, it's held with a lot of care and compassion. It's like, great, great, good practice. Keep going, you know, good practice. <laughs> so it was not like the event itself, it was the way it was held. And so, uh, so I'm bringing this also to um, pick up on... Uh, uh, The beautiful instruction that we get got from uh, Judson this morning on the seven factors of awakening. So to <coughs> me, that speaks about that, the relationship. So what is the relationship? Can there be care that is given or mindfulness, attention given to what's happening? Can, can there be curiosity uh, brought in the picture here in relationship to what's happening? You know, and, and how 
you know, this unfolds uh, from there. So I'm thinking about the music here, you know, so there's an event. It's one of the many events that can happen, phenomena that can happen in life, you know. How is that, how is that held, you know? It might be perceived as pleasurable or unpleasurable or neutral. Anyway, how is it held, you know? Does it mean, like, does it, what the, you know, how would you report it to your Burmese teacher? <laughs> <laughs> We'd say there was, there was music happening, and what was the relationship to it? I, I wanted to, I couldn't resist. I had to go see what was the band, you know? <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, I had a strong opinion that, you know, it's a retreat center here. Don't they know? How, how did they book, you know? Like I was got caught in opinions about that. <laughs> or I held it carefully. It was unpleasant. And I actually brought curiosity to what is the experience of unpleasant? Where is it felt? Is it on, in the body or is it in the mind, you know? And is it fluctuating or it's equally... You know, and suddenly there's your best, you know, favorite songs. Like, oh, that, that's fine. No. John Denver, it's okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so to notice, so, so that's, that's the turning curiosity uh, towards, uh, towards what's happening. And then, uh, and I, I'm, I'm also bringing this because a few of you mentioned mentioned that, and uh, and um, and I thought that another way to talk about the presence and the uh, the presence of the seven factors is the is now is I think it's a classic of mine, but it's actually coming from Joseph. But because I almost end up at every retreat doing it, because I think it's useful to it seems to me that it's a useful way to talk about practice. So, we come to the retreat, and we want to uh, establish mindfulness. And so we say, oh, I'm going to be mindful. That's the value here, apparently. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says, you know, they keep mentioning it in all kinds of ways, and they, you know, they're really, you know, they believe in it. <laughs> and so I'm going to, you know, establish mindfulness. But then, uh, you know, I'm triggered in some way, or I fall in the past, the future obsession of this one, compulsion about this one, avoidance, you know, and get lost in my thoughts, etc. And I keep re-establishing, re-establishing. So humbly I do the work of starting over again, starting over again. What can be noticeable? What can be felt? What can be allowed? Can that be okay? You know, and I keep doing it, keep doing it. And, you know, I'm annoyed. I have an opinion about stuff. You know, I wouldn't do I do this. I would do this much better. Let me give the talk. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever <laughs> you know, is happening. <laughs> and, uh, and at some point, and some of you have described this. That's why I'm bringing this here. It's at some point, there's a reversal of the ball. So it might be for a few seconds. It might be for uh, several minutes. Uh, something get established. So instead of like, oh, you know, having to put the effort, you know, remember, uh, you know, mindfulness. <laughs> you know, counting the hours, you know, four to six hours left to the retreat. <laughs> So at some point, it gets established. Because of what? Because of the patience, humility, 
continuity, starting over again, you know, like all this thing, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try again, I'm going to try, and making it less complex, you know, like, you fool, or I don't want to be here. It's just like, okay, <laughs> s- simple task, what can be felt, you know, sitting is happening, breathing, time is going <coughs> on, and noticing, noticing. So at some point, something gets established, and when I'm in there, that's because it represents like the new default setting for a few minutes, where suddenly I'm there, you know? And there might be like the beginning of an opinion about something, like why did they put, where a fat, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to go on that, you know, t- train of, st- I know like this trouble, renunciation is easier, it's like, I'll stay here. You know, with the breath, you know. I could have an opinion about myself or others or, you know, go on a fantasy of some, you know, plan again next week, but actually I'm going to stay here. Even at some point it doesn't, it doesn't even happen because there's just the stepping, the stepping, or as somebody was describing, there's just the music. Like there's no opinion about it. There's no uh, positioning of a certain self in relationship to the music. There's just hearing. There's just music. There's just festival happening, you know? And so in these moments, it might be a way to recognize that the factors have come together. So it's not a question of will. It's conditional, as uh, Judson was uh, saying. And so... And uh, so there's an experience there in the ball represents it, it's pro- uh, protection, seclusion. So we're secluded from what? We're secluded from the hindrances, from the difficult mind state, from wanting something else, from doubting, am I doing this right or not, from uh, refusing what's there, why is there music, why is the door open, it should be closed, you know, whatever, you know. Like, so this doesn't come in anymore because the mind is really engaged with reality. There's no more gaps where, uh, you know, another image the Buddha uses, uh, a bottle empty of water. It says anything can come in there because its space is open. Mara can come in with all this, you know, description, analyzing, comparing all these difficult uh, mind states. But when suddenly it's full of presence and the factors are brought together, it's full. And it's just, it's like this. And this could be pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, but it has, uh, I don't know if it's a good word, uh, use of the word, but it has suchness. It's like this. When there's the presence of festival, it's like this. And when there's the absence of it, it's like this. It's not like, oh, it's finished? Is it finished for the rest of the day? Or is it going to come back? You know? (laughs) There's calm in the mind. The mind doesn't pick up things, you know? doesn't pick up things for proliferation, for making, creating myths and world, you know? It just, it's just, oh, bird singing, you know? And then if the music starts again, it's like, oh, this is how it is right now. Yeah? So there's a, we've moved from the five hindrances or the difficult mind state not enough energy, oh, no, I have to produce energy to be here, you know, or there's so much energy I don't know how to connect, you know, because I have so many thoughts about everything, you know. And so the factors, maybe in a linear way, developmental way, 
I've gotten together one after the other, they kicked in, you know. There was attention was given to something, and it started to reveal something. So, you know, at the beginning I put my attention on the breath, and it's kind of boring. And at some point <coughs> it's like, oh, hold on. Some, something stands out because of the quality of the attention. Something stands out and curiosity is igni- ignited. Yeah. And so in the, in the way that uh, Judson uh, described it so well. And so there's an ex- exper- uh, experience of seclusion for a few m- seconds, moments. Suddenly there's just stepping. And this, this is a good way to live. You know, it's, a, it's good to be impressed by that, to discover, oh my God. How do I usually live? And I live in opinions and scatteredness, and and now there's just this. So it's good to actually, if it happens, to feel it. There's a sense of connection. It's life's become sim- simple, but also outstanding in some way. I think some something of that nature. It's, it's just a fan, mm-hmm. but it seems complete. I don't need not the fan or a better fan. It's just, oh, look at that. Life took this form. And so these are um, beautiful conditions in and of themselves. And um, at lunch we were talking and we were, um, I think, talking about learning, something about learning mind and uh, closed mind, maybe in learning mind. Open mindset and, what is it? Growth mind. Growth mindset. <coughs> and so when uh, Judson mentioned that I remembered hearing I don't know who, maybe Bhikkhu Bodhi or somebody saying these factors you know, they're, they're the best way to live they're the best tra- strategy to meet life if you have something to learn imagine having uh, uh, attention and curiosity and so much curiosity that the, the level of energy is regulated by itself. You know, you don't have too much energy or too low energy. You're, in, you're engaged. So there's just the right amount of energy, naturally. And there's even some kind of joy, enthusiasm about what's there. And there's the uh, calming factors that are present. So there's calm. It's not so discursive. And there's uh, non-reactivity, equanimity, and there's Gatheredness, the mind is gathered, it's not scattered. If you get a new job, you know, and you have to, the learning curve is high or whatever, it's steep. You know, best quality to be learning. But not only learning, if there's something beautiful happening in your life, what would be the best way to meet it? Oh my God, it's so great, it's so great! You know, <laughs> is that, you know? It would be to actually slow down and say, wow, there's something beautiful happening. <coughs> Let me tune in. You know, there's an encounter. There's something natural happening. Let me be touched by that. Yeah? So that's, <coughs> that's the factors. If there is conflict, you know, I have to talk to somebody. It's a <coughs> stressful situation. If I could invite some of them or all of them, you know, suddenly there's like, wow, there's care, there's integrity. There's enough calm to hear the other, enough calm to state one's view in a way that is not uh, abusive or could be heard, you know. There's a gravitas, suddenly you, you know, you're really there, the person cannot not acknowledge you, you're there, maybe. Yeah. So for something difficult, for any situation, you know, I think um, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu would uh, 
who was in the farmland in the south of Thailand would talk about this to the farmers. They'd say, when you're plowing your land, you need the seven factors. You, know? you need to be there, be interested in what you're doing, so you'll, you'll be able to assess where to turn, where to, what's the amount of energy needed. You'll, you'll have the calm to actually see what's happening. You know? They're in your life. They are already there in your life. It's just good to mention them and value them. And if you're actually interested in liberating the heart or the mind, the path, the Buddhist path, for example, these are called the qualities, the factors of awakening. They're the conditions for the mind to uh, develop uh, wisdom and compassion. And so, a uh, way that I uh, understand uh, these qualities coming to being nurtured and cultivated. Uh, uh, what they do is uh, when the mind actually is not so scattered anymore and in in lost in its opinions and different thoughts following every train of thought, when it's gathered, then it can really um, meet reality and discover what reality is. Yeah. And so you might have felt this here. Suddenly things got, get specific. I might have named that, but it's it's this strawberry, not a strawberry, but this taste of strawberry. It's this sip of uh, tea, not a sip of tea. It's this step, not a general step. So it gets very specific, and we can be touched. And the way we're touched is at some point, we don't just m uh, encounter the specificity of that taste, that particular pleasantness or unpleasantness, what starts to stand out when the factors are uh, together, when there's enough... One way to talk about the factors, <coughs> the factors is the calming and the energizing one. So three calming, three energizing, and one mindfulness in the middle that will reveal the imbalance if there is some. Is <coughs> so if there is the calming factors of calm, tranquility itself, and uh, equanimity and concentration, and if there is curiosity, energy, and uh, some kind of rapture, joy, some, some kind of, uh, mm. yeah, the joy of meeting reality, some, some engagement, some of, that, some of that quality of like, wow, I have the chance to be here, sitting, or stepping, or stopping, you know, like real good connection what will start to emerge, reveal itself naturally when the conditions are brought together, the conditions of the seven factors, is that uh, the universal characteristics of phenomena will become tangible, palpable. So what are these characteristics? Some things are red, others are blue, some things are heard, some are thought, felt, you know, they all have specific things about them but all have in common to be ephemeral. Festival is an ephemeral arising. Fan is an ephemeral arising. Fear is an ephemeral arising. Hearing, seeing, thoughts, everything ephemeral. Even the word that is used in the teaching is flickering, flickering. And we start to discern that. So I might be... Uh, I'll start to discern that, uh, you know, sometimes we say, oh, I've been... 
I've been, uh, you know, some assumption about I, how I've been the whole time. You know, I've been, it's been hard. Let's say it's been hard being here. You know, and when we tune in, we say that hard comes and goes. You know, it's actually not true. And actually, any phenomena, we might discover that actually it's flickering. It comes and goes. Any identity, I'm a professor. I'm a, yeah, are you right now? No, right now you're just somebody who's looking for a toilet. (laughs) (laughs) That identity of parent, of uh, bad meditator, of any version you have is flickering. It's not, it's, we have the thought, I'm this or that all the time, you know. This is a mistaken view. I'm not that all the time. It's much more flickering than that. And so we start to break that, these assumptions that this is how it is. It's, it appears and disappears. And uh, so the Buddha's instructions, they say, the, about any phenomena, you know, so the body itself, the posture, the activities of the body, the sensations in the body, the senses, or the pleasantness or unpleasantness, or the moods or emotions or thoughts or moments of consciousness, or perception, how things appear. I'm a bad meditator, I'm a good meditator. Any of this, he says, the instructions are, see the presence, see the absence of that, see the arising and the passing away of that. And so when we quiet like this and get the factors together, it actually reveals itself. Wow. Things appear and disappear all the time. They flicker like... uh, I don't know, even your bedroom here flickers. It's not always in your mind. I'll go even further to say your toes, from the point of view of experience. They just appeared, maybe, when I named them. (laughs) (laughs) So it's that flickering. And this is, uh, so this is one of the characteristics. And it's heart-opening. That's what it's meant for. It's not for cynicism. It's all impermanent. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's meant to be touching, to say, wow, look at that. It's a strange reality we're in. Things escape us. You know, they're there, then they're not there, then they're there again. You know, often people at the beginning of the retreat will say, can I take notes, you know, because there's this, we know. If I don't take a note, a thought, amazing one, liberating one, is going to be flickering, you know. And sometimes we say, yeah, it might be good not to take note, because you'll have a private, intimate encounter with impermanence. It's quite amazing, you know. (laughs) Sometimes writers come on retreat, and they're like, oh, I had a great idea for that chapter, or that turn of event, you know. And I'm like, yeah, don't take note. (laughs) (laughs) You'll meet something something like really life in a raw, intimate way. Cannot hold on to even good ideas. Best ideas are flickering. And so that's one of the characteristics. Another one of the universal characteristics is that nothing, because it's flickering, nothing can be totally owned or 
def we can't define ourselves by something because memory comes and goes, intelligence goes and comes and goes, any bits comes and goes, you know. And if it's still there around, it'll go. <laughs> if it started at some point, somebody says, you can be sure it'll go. If it did have a start, it will have a... So whatever is gathered will be lost. You know? And so coming close to that, and that's the nature of uh, insight, depending on its uh, power, and it also the power of an insight depends on the power of the f seven factors. So the the more we develop these factors and they're strong and they rely on, they're kind of vortexy like in a, in a wholesome way, they'll make the insight uh, deeper and deeper. So I can have an insight on the impermanence of a step. Like, wow, there was a hardness, a moment of hardness, and it lasted just a second. But if the mind is extremely quiet and you can't will that, you know, you, but it's conditional, you know, if the mind is extremely quiet. There might be the lifting of the foot and the disappearance of, uh, of hardness. And one will understand, because it's inferential, <coughs> wow, everything will disappear. It won't be a thought, it will be an experience. And so, you know, seeing, uh, I don't know, a dead worm suddenly because of the quality of the sensibility that we've been developing, suddenly seeing this, we'll see the end of beings, of all beings, you know? And so that's why somebody starts crying, saying, like, why am I crying? Well, because you've just seen a leaf fall, and you've seen things fall. You've seen everything fall, you know? And so that's... Uh, that's a very particular encounter with reality. It's not an encounter with reality from uh, opinions, you know, from, uh, from preferences. It's, uh, it's much more intimate, closer to, to life. It's not buffered by what I would like, what I would prefer to be happening. So we've cleaned that. It's not easy to do, to clear the space, you know, from all these things that are hindering the process of... Uh, seen clearly and so uh, so we see that uh, nothing can be owned you know? everything is ephemeral and nothing can be owned don't believe any of that the Buddha said this is available for people to see creating the right conditions for n not presupposed uh, assumptions you know, but creating the right condition to actually see what is happening we'll see that my thoughts are not my thoughts so much. They, they're really happening, but they're conditional. You know, <coughs> they happen because of the surrounding condition, because of the history. What I think, what I take superficially as being moi, moi, what I'm thinking, the more I get quiet, the more I see that it's not moi. It says that in the mind. This emotion arises, the tingling happens, the breathing happens on its own, even the knowing happens on its own. Am I really hearing if I'm really quiet? Like, it's going to appear at some point. Hearing happens by itself. And suddenly there's the desire to move or to stop. And as somebody was saying, like, I'm walking and suddenly there's an object in front of me, like a wall or a tree. And 
the thought, maybe I should stop, arises. <laughs> it's really absolutely linked in the world. You know, when we have that perception of separation, like I'm in the, in the world, you know, and there's this immense universe, and I'm this little conscious being isolated. You know, this is a perception. It's a painful one. And we come here to get quiet enough to maybe see that this is a perception. That maybe actually it's not the case. Maybe there's not that much of a separation. Maybe we are made of the fabric of life completely, but we add wrongly appropriated parts of it. I am this, I am that, this is my opinion. I'm feeling this, oh, there's this feeling. There's this role, sometimes. You know. And so, uh, again, this is, um, this is uh, I th- when it's well done, it opens the heart. It's like, wow, look at that. We're in a reality where everything is ephemeral, and we're in a reality where things cannot be owned. They cannot be kept. They're mm-hmm. conditional. Intelligence, when the conditions are right, will dismantle. I know about this a lot sitting here. You know, sometimes I, it's like, where's my intelligence? <laughs> I said I would name three things, and I've done two, and I can't remember the third one. <laughs> it's gone. I can't own uh, stuff so much. You know. And so, and some people here have described this really well. They've described, you know, wow, I'm, I'm discovering that this child is not my child. There is a child, but I can't, you know, it is and it is not, you know, like I can't, it's not mine. (coughs) And the third uh, characteristic, universal characteristic that we might discover when the mind is quiet and gathered and we feel, we'll discover that things being impermanent, being ephemeral, dynamic, belonging to the whole universe, you know, dependent on the whole, uh, means that uh, phenomena or a phenomenon, phenomena are not going to be satisfying. They're not going to be able to provide uh, in a sustained way because they're ephemeral, they go. So it's not going to be so much the thing as much as the relationship that I have with it that's going to be liberating. Because if I get what I really wanted, once I get it, because of impermanence, I'll fear losing it. And once I get it, uh, the pleasure in it is not exactly in it. It's in the relationship. So the thing, especially for many of us, new stuff is pleasant. So I arrived here, I really liked it, and now it's time to go home. (laughs) It's still the same walking and sitting, but now I'm like, it's not new anymore. Or whatever else. We can do this to somebody. Or anything, you know, as long as it's new. And then, ah, you know, even if it's the same thing that is there, it's not providing anymore. Or the perceptions have changed around, around that. So things are very, very much flickering. And, and then the question that arises for me, can that be okay? Can that be okay? To me, all this is really 
the opening of the heart, this compassion. It's like, wow, we're all in this together. We don't know what's coming. It's conditional, so it means we won't have control over it. We can contribute, certainly, but we won't control health. We won't control others. We, we won't, you know, and it's changing. We're all in this together, in this ephemeral nature that has its own rule. So arises naturally, I think, spontaneously in the in the intimate encounter with reality, compassion. Wow. Want to take care. It's not easy being a human being, being a living being. It's not an easy thing. You know, things will go, things will come you don't want to come. How are we going to do this together? You know, care. And if something works, we'll be able to celebrate. Wow, it worked. It worked for you. I'm so happy. You know? So this is the kind of the I think about it as the arc of practice. So we come here with our ideas about stuff and what we want to get and what we want to get rid of, you know, and we start paying attention and we quiet the mind a little bit and things starts to stand out a bit. And then suddenly we're touched <coughs> by the fact that, you know, even inside we can control. You want to be at ease, and suddenly there's an opinion that lands there, or an <laughs> obsession, you know, and you're like, I, I don't even care about it. No! We're gonna, you know? <laughs> and, so, and, uh, and so what's the appropriate response? What's the appropriate response? It's probably to care to bring some interest <coughs> in what's happening, to see how I can relate to it, you know, some quietness, see if I can stay with it a little bit, to see it behave, you know, acceptance, uh, many of the qualities that uh, we've been <coughs> developing here, we've been talking about, but also uh, embodying, and that's the amazing thing about this practice, is we're all here working at um, embodying, transmitting, embodying, like finding out what is this equanimity in experience? You know, how can I, how can I, befriend this or recognize that? You know, and feel that. And what is uh, what is this curiosity that Judson uh, named? You know, what what does it mean for me as I'm walking or eating or resting in my room, waiting for the program to start again? You know. And so, um, yeah. These are a few thoughts that uh, I'm having about uh, all this. Anything that you want to share? Maybe I can just add a piece about the <coughs> just bridging from yesterday. We <coughs> saw how the there are certain brain regions <coughs> that are correlated with contraction and expansion. You know, they get activated when we get contracted in self-protection. <coughs> you know, in this. So Pascal is talking about when we see that there is maybe not as solid of a self as we thought to protect. 
we start letting go of that a little bit. And so we move in this direction of expansion. And as that expansion moves farther and farther out, we start to lose the boundaries between ourselves and others. And that intimacy develops, that connectedness, because there's these walls of self start coming down. A couple of pieces there. One, when we look at the brains of experienced meditators, specifically with loving-kindness practice, now we can predict, I think we all can predict what their brains look like when they're practicing loving-kindness. What does that posterior cingulate look like? Is it red or is it blue? We can predict that from our own experience. When we're really, truly feeling the quality of kindness, is it contracted or is it expanded? Expanded. And that's what we see. Very blue, very quiet brain. And the beauty of this as it links to compassion is when there is no self there to protect, he talked about when suffering is present, right? What does a... If there's someone there that fears pain, right? That's our natural habitual response. Oh, you know, pain. Let me protect myself from that. So when there's pain, the non-trained mind is, you know, the habitual mind is to, to shirk back, to contract, to protect. When we start to see through that illusion of self and those boundaries come down, suffering is present and then there's this natural movement to meet that suffering. Compassion, right? Arises out of conditions. Try to go out and Okay, today I'm going to be compassionate. <laughs> right? That's red. That's me trying to do something. As compared to, oh, there's suffering. There's awareness. And there's not a self-protected quality to experience. There's a tenderness. That tenderness meets suffering. Boom. Loving kindness rushes in and there's compassion. So we see this even in the neuroscience. It fits beautifully with what these teachings show, which is this, these Brahma-viharas, as we've, been, as we've been talking about, naturally arise out of these conditions of selflessness as we tap into that more and more and see that, how are you saying, ephemerality of conditioned experience as it comes and as it goes. An example of that that uh, comes to mind is, um, you know, before when somebody would tell me, um, you know, Pascal, you didn't consider me, that you did this, and that was like, you know, unconsiderate. There was a red thing, you know, like, me? Unconsiderate? No, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I want, you know, you need to know that, you know? Or if there was a recognition, I can't actually hide this one. You know, it's clearly, I, there was a, you know, then I was like, oh, it's me, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, you know. And the person uh, would have then to take care of me. Not only would I hurt them, but they'd have to take care of, of me because I'm meing, you know. 
it's me, I'm such a bad person. They're like, no, you're, it's fine, it's fine, you're hurting me. <laughs> no, 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 you know, I'm bad. And so that's a very complex relationship. It's, uh, it's caught, you know. And now I see, not all the time, but when I see it, I can rejoice about it. So somebody will say, hey, Pascal, there was this you did that didn't work at all for me. And then it's not taken so personal. It's, it's phenomena. It's like, oh, was there a lack of consideration? It's not defining me. But there is maybe something that happened, a lack of consideration. So I, you know, so then they can be like, oh, tell me what happened from your side. And then I can maybe, uh, the expression is, uh, have retroactive mindfulness. You know, say so like, <laughs> hold on, oh my God, it's true. I was totally like wanting to be efficient. And, you know, oh, there was a little bit of kind of cru- like revenge. You know, like, a, okay, now that I, you're saying this, there was a little bit of like, and we're not going to consider you. <laughs> you know, in that or something like this, and then I can take responsibilities. So not self doesn't mean that oh it's all open. It's not like that. There's a that's the middle path, the middle path of responsibility of taking care. That's what we learn here. What that's what we're practicing is to actually care about what's happening. So I can care about what's happening, and it's uh, it's not contracted. And when it's not actually, I, I'll say it like this: when it's not, it's so easy. Because then there can be a concept, you know, oh, it's true, this happened, that was not okay. You know, wow, how can we fix this? And then this, oh, okay, so it's not a contracted, it's an open, even if it's bad news, you know, it's, it doesn't mean something about a certain me. It used to, and that was horrible. But now there's just the heat of like, oh, reverberation of the feedback loop. Oh my God, you're telling me that there was an s- impact to what was done, you know. Wow, that's unpleasant to know. That's touching, you know. But it, it, what arises is compassion, care. Oh, are you okay? How can we fix this? You know, totally, you're right. You know? And so it makes life a little bit um, lot more easy. It's it's freed. It's even freed to make mistake. Not in the sense that okay, I can make mistake now. There's a sense of responsibility, but there's not the I attached to it. Do you see that? It's uh, it's so relieving, and it becomes. Uh, yeah, it seems like it's a. It seems like it's the a wise way to live. That it makes sense. That it would be like this. You know, wow, this was not a good move. You know, and in the same way, if there is generosity that arises, you know, if there's like, I'm so generous. You know, I'm so generous. You know, there's a there's an appropriation that is wrong. You know, generosity is beautiful. Why would it suddenly be twisted in a definition of a self? You know, that—that's how it feels to me. It's like, wow, how, how could that be claimed? This, this doesn't feel right. You know, there's generosity. Let's recognize. So, to me, what we learn to do is to remove the glasses of self, selfing, is it mine, is it not mine, I don't want it to be mine and it's mine, I want it to be mine and it's not mine, and it's very complex. And what I learned to do is to discern, is this beneficial or not? Is this helpful or not? If it's helpful, let's cultivate it, celebrate it. If it's not, let's accompany it to the exit. (laughs) Carefully. And so... So it's a different uh, system. view is changing, you know. So the view, not so personal, <coughs> universal things, you know. Uh, lack of consideration, universal. Uh, generosity, universal. If 
factor of mind, of nature, human nature. Any questions, comments around that? Yeah. to see if this is a uh, if this is me running away from the question or or not so let's see um, the, I think the the Zen teachers said it well don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't know And you know, there's some questions that the Buddha considered like un, uh, unponderables or something like this. He said, this could drive you crazy. I don't know if that's one of them. <laughs> but like, like, what's the meaning of the whole thing? You know, and, and the way he brings the teaching, that might be an interesting point here, is uh, he says, I'm interested in suffering and the end of suffering. Mm -hmm. So what's the beginning of the universe? What's the meaning of the direction of the frontal cortex <laughs> is, is one thing, but there's suffering here, yeah. you know, here, here, and here, here, you know, and what do we do about this? This, this is like, like once we've solved that, maybe the other question will become really interesting. <laughs> you know, we can, we'll have leisure time to actually ponder about them, you know, do you see that? Yeah. Robin Wright at Princeton talks about the self as being a, a kind of propaganda machine. That evolution is really helpful to wonder a lot and be obsessed about what other people think of this. Because that could help with procreation and survival. <coughs> I'm not having been using my voice very much lately. Uh, in the social units we evolved. So it could be a, a way in which we pay attention to our standing and how I see Oh no. <laughs> One way that I see this that I find interesting is uh, you know as the baby is born and doesn't have a sense of self. Apparently, I'm told. <laughs> you know, everything is, you know, and then it's your hand, my hand. You know. 
your nose, where's Pascal's nose, you know, your toy, Nicolas toys, <laughs> you know, no, mine, no, Nicolas toys, you know, and we learn to define things, so we go from pre-egotic to a egotic state, and then we come to a retreat, <laughs> and then, but we're not going back, we're not going back, we're going further, trans-egotic, we say, okay, so now that it's well-formed, you know about boundaries, etc., really well, now, it's not really your hand. <laughs> you know, there is a hand, you can do a lot, and, but you can't actually own, own, like, say, tingling. Can you own tingling? It's gone. That particular bit of tingling is gone. You know, you can't own that. And everything else arises. Is it really yours, you know? Is it really your idea, or you heard it on CBS or CBC? You know? <laughs> Is it really your idea, or you just it was conditioned, conditioned by your culture and this and that? And it's, it's interesting to uh, to watch how you know what we give value to. I give value to that. Do you really, or is that valued in the little realm you're in? You know? <coughs> like now, we give a lot of value to slow walking back and forth like zombies. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's walking well. I'd like to walk like him or her. Like, wow, they're lo- walking much better than I. <laughs> <laughs> but then next week we'll be in another realm and that won't have so much value anymore. <laughs> I'm really good at walking slow. <laughs> like, you should see me. You know? <laughs> I would just like Dr. Uh, Gore to name the seven... seven uh, Factors. Uh, you didn't mention this morning because I've only paid two. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> Actually, which two? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say them in English, and uh, Pascal can say them in Pali. How's that? Fair enough. <laughs> Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh yeah, we can try. <laughs> If he mumbles, that means he forgot the name of it. <laughs> what's, what's happening here? <laughs> That's an interesting situation. <laughs> I'll just name them in English. <laughs> so mindfulness. Uh, interest. Or curi- I liberally translate it as curiosity. So some scholar might slap me on the head for that. But I find curiosity very helpful. Uh, uh, courageous energy is the third one so interest and mindfulness give rise to energy rapture or joy is the fourth one depending on how it's translated the fifth one is tranquility the sixth one is concentration and the seventh one is equanimity is concentration a fair enough translation for the sixth? For samadhi? (laughs) 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 And the only two, well, if you only remember two, start with the first two. Mindfulness and and interest, curiosity. And it's easy to find them, you know, if you Google seven factors of awakening. Uh, no, no. <laughs> right now. 
there's Google. There's Google. <laughs> yeah, we, okay, we can put off. them. Uh, we can put them on the on the board. Yeah. <laughs> Muriel will be happy to write them in Pali. <laughs> Instant gratification. How's it feel? Yes. Um, you said, Pascal, that uh, we cannot own anything, but would you say that we we can own our experience of all these phenomena coming in and out, flickering? It is our experience, and that that's the only thing we own? I wouldn't say that, but... Yeah. Um, You know, there's, there's maybe it's good to talk about two different realities. You know, there's a conventional reality. You know, so this is your cushion or your blanket. You know, it's conventional reality. But if somebody comes and take it, then it will prove to us that it was never really yours. You, know, that you couldn't really own it. And experience is fleeting, so it goes. So can you own your experience? Where is your experience of waking up this morning? You know, now it's a different experience. It's a memory. It's not the same experience. It's a generation of the mind. It's a thought, you know, an impression. It's not that experience. That experience is non-existent. Mm. And so, but it's a it's a good exploration, I think, for you to see like what what could I own if I really own something? This kind of relative owning, you know? like somebody says to the Buddha. You know, do you still say I after all this talk about not self? You know, do you still say I? And the Buddha says, Yeah, we say I, wise being. They say I, but they know the limit of the language. They haven't been fooled by it, duped, thinking really I. Because we know that if there's an identification, then there's like, what's going to happen to me when I die? You know, like, what's if something from nature has been taken? as mine, you know, what's going to happen, you know, but it's just nature is going to do its thing. I mean, it's not, this is the most counterintuitive teaching, so it's, it'll take probably a few lifetimes <laughs> to clarify that, but, uh, yeah. In the, somewhere else in the teaching, the Buddha says, um, he says, oh, Uh, wise being, when they uh, when they uh, recognize the earth element, so it's a, a way to talk about, let's say, hardness, you know, hardness in the knee or hardness on, on the seat. You know, when they recognize um, uh, <coughs> um, uh, hardness or earth element, they uh, wise being they recognize it as earth and they stop there. <coughs> and unwise being, untrained being they make a little mistake, they add a little thing, is uh, when they they uh, experience the earth element, they recognize it as the earth element, but they also think of it as I or mine, they appropriate it. And then suffering starts. Because, you know, let's say, if we take it in another way, if I have a cruel thought, you know, if I come out and somebody has put their Birkenstock on top of uh, mm -hmm. my shoes, you know, my I hope you pay for that. <laughs> I hope I hope you don't experience the seven factors today. <laughs> you know? 
if I'm identified, I might like, oh my God, like I'm such a bad person, you know. But if instead I have discernment, I can recognize, oh, that's probably not helpful. You know, I can let this one go. You know? <laughs> and so that's the way easier, you know, because like, so I don't take ownership. But I'm responsible in the sense that I care about what arises in the mind. You know, but I don't define myself by it. <laughs> Easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We take responsibility okay. That's what I'm talking about, the responsibility. Who does? Who does? Yeah. It's, hopefully it will be wisdom, you know, and not guilt. You know. If there's no I to take on that responsibility. Still, there is... Um, there is um, mind factors that are there they're really there you know there is really clarity or ignorance confusion they're really there so let's say we uh, we're going to use it use this around the intentions so i'm i'm going really like for the core of the stuff you know so the intention to um, let's say there's um we go from sitting to walking so the bell rings it's time for walking who will go walking? That's the same question. Who will go walking? <coughs> it's a mind state that will go. It's interest that will go walking. Or it's tiredness that will go to the bedroom. You know, It's something that is really existent. But in the teaching it says it's not a person that does that. And here what we're developing is a, of the, domain, the public domain again. It's wisdom. It's a fact. Discernment is a factor of mind. It's not yours. It's <coughs> not mine. It wasn't, didn't belong to the Buddha or anybody else in between <coughs> us. It was a factor of mind. And we have recognized that this factor of mind is more helpful inwardly, relationally, communally. Discernment, wisdom, compassion are more useful. <coughs> relief, suffering, instead of hatred. You know, For example, we've noticed, wise beings have noticed that hatred doesn't help. It's not unworthy leading. It's not liberating. It doesn't uh, remove uh, suffering. It adds to it. And so here, there's, there's nobody. That's the view. But there are a lot of mental factors and we're trying to clarify which one we're going to cultivate and which one we're going to let go. So we say, so you could be worried. There was a conversation in a group today and it was around, I'm worried about my impact Let's say as a white, uh, privileged uh, person, my impact in my community. So I'm, I'm putting this in my words uh, now, but I'm, uh, I'm worried of my impact. And so the conversation we were having is like, what is worry, how is worry helping? You know, It might be an energy that has something good about it because it might prevent some moves, you know, some things that would, you know, would not be helpful. But it's also draining energy. I worry <coughs> about my impact. I worry of like how I'm using my status. You know, I'm worrying about this. This is draining. It, you might lose sleep with worry. You might, you know. So, uh, could it be replaced by another factor of mine, like care and uh, the taking of responsibility? So. It's it's very counterintuitive, but uh, that's the area of research, really. And so, 
Is it you who's listening or it's a mind state? You know? Not to me. To you it seems to. But to me it's uh, like I want to care about what arises in this consciousness. I really want to take care and be responsible, but I don't want to own. Yeah? So, for example, be, uh, I don't know, it's maybe 20 years ago now, I did something that was really hurtful to a few people. And so I, was really, I didn't want to think about this because I felt guilty about it. So I would spend time justifying, not at the right, you know, the, my union was on my side, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. and so it was energy uh, taking, you know, because there was ownership and not wanting to own. So it was a debate between owning and <coughs> guilt, not owning, you know, pushing away, etc. And at some point I understood, oh, it's not so much Pascal as a, you know, it's at that moment, there was that amount of greed present. This, this situation was present. There was that amount of greed, that lack of wisdom. There was this belief, greed, what is it? The belief that the happiness was in a- having that. I didn't know that that was impermanent and not satisfying. I thought when I get that, I'm going to be really happy. I got it, I was not happy. Especially that it was not acquired in an ethical way. You know. So l- much later, at some point I discovered, oh, it was not about the me. These things really happened. I can take responsibility. But it was greed that was at play. It was lack of wisdom. And so it's actually easier for me to take responsibility and say, yeah, this was really done. This is what happened. It really happened. And what, how can it be repaired? You know? But I don't identify with that. It's not me. But it did happen. And I can say relatively, I did it. But I know it's not me, you know, and it was done, and it had an impact. Do you see it a little bit? It's liberating, but not easy to come uh, to 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 get, you know. So I'm uh, looking at the time here, and I'm wondering if there is something you want to. Maybe this is enough uh, words for now. And we'll see how this uh, unfolds. If you're confused. <laughs> Can that be okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's not personal. It's of the public domain. Confusion happened to human beings. Can that be okay? That it's not resolved? If something is unresolved, can it be okay? (gasps) Can it be okay? Because some things are unresolved for a while. Can it be okay? Because we could, you know, I know I need to understand why I don't understand, you know. Oh, this is mysterious. This is confusing. So, if you are confused, then maybe you could do like uh, the Buddha did. Oh, here. (laughs) (laughs) His hand here. So he came back to something he knew. Touch. Touch is happening. There is really hardness. This is true. That experience is true. And there is breathing. There is breathing. Maybe that could be good. And if it's not enough, there is food. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just take a moment here.
what are the inner conditions right now? Just caring about this, not owning any of it, but caring about what's there. If there is ease, we can rejoice. If it's difficult to be in the in there, maybe we can care, accompany, allow. And if it's neutral, either pleasant or unpleasant, see if it can be okay also. <coughs> May we all experience uh, freedom and be able to offer freedom and protection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.